Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hello and welcome to Gegenpressing, the Bundesliga podcast. I'm your host Manuel Feit. And uh, I'm joining you from beautiful Green Bay, Wisconsin today. Um, final stop of the Bayern Munich US tour. Ready to go home. And um, yeah, as always, joined by Stefan Bienkowski, who is definitely not in beautiful Green Bay, Wisconsin. How's it going, Stefan? Yes, very, very well. I think I'm quite happy not to be in Green Bay, considering the temperatures you've been talking about. I think we actually had one listener ask how you were getting on with the the heat of the Midwest. Um, I'm more than happy to not have to contend with that at the moment, but you you seem to enjoy it a lot more than I do. I, I, I am actually someone who enjoys the heat quite a bit, but I think uh, 36 with 50% uh, Humidity at in DC at the stadium, that's quite a lot. <laughs> and uh, then yesterday or the day, couple of days in Green Bay, it was the same thing. It was like thirty to thirty-five degrees, and it's the humidity that kills you, right? It's like so high. And then we are obviously you probably saw the the pictures on Twitter, Stefan, but like this a storm that just rolled in uh, at Lambeau Field, mm-hmm. and the game had to be delayed twice. Um, because it was just so crazy. There were 70 mile hour winds inside the stadium. And uh, I was glad that it was like an NFL style press box, which is behind, it's like an actual box. <laughs> it's a massive box at the top of the stadium and it's completely covered by glass. So we were actually in a protected area. And uh, I tell you what, I was kind of sad at first that it was like that because I wanted to hear the atmosphere. But when that storm hit, I was like, oh man, I'm glad I'm inside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's the best thing for it yeah absolutely uh, um well yeah it's it's been okay though otherwise like i mean i like the heat um and it was it's been all pretty fun and overall too i think as much as i like the heat too i'm kind of looking forward to going to first to canada to more normal temperatures but i think then and we kind of covered this in our in our extra podcast. I'm going to the DFL Super Cup uh, next weekend, and um, I think the temperatures in Europe are pretty much the same right now. They're <laughs> really high, right? I mean, the UK just got hit massively. Yeah. So. Yeah, we're finally oh, well. kind of coming out the back of it. I'm not quite sure what the temperatures like in Germany, but it gets very warm in Berlin. I know that in the summer it gets very cold and gets very warm. So. You'll need to maybe put up with some more heat for the time being. That's okay. It's it's for the listeners. It's for the fans. So I'll do everything. Um, yes, let's let's dive into some topics, shall we? After this break, um, we'll be right back. This episode of the Game Pressing Podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. 
and find all of the latest arts, news, and sports development, including Major League Baseball, the latest fighting news, and even next season's early NFL features. With training camp right around the corner, BetOnline has opened up arts for team wins, division futures, and of course, the Super Bowl. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-E-A-V, B-L-E-A-V, BELIEVE, to get the bonus and get into the action. BetOnline, where the game starts. So yeah, the first one, Stefan, and I think this surprised a lot of people as David Raum to RB Leipzig, uh, Fabrizio Romano being the first to break this story. And I think that most of us, you wrote a really great article on it just last week, right? On David Raum. So if you're listening to this and you wonder who David Raum is, there's, there's actually um, an in-depth piece and it seemed like the battle over David Raum was between Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund. And um, Oliver Kahn here, this was still in DC, made it quite clear that he wasn't necessarily a topic. And um, my in-between-the-line reading was that Bayern Munich was essentially mentioned by uh, maybe the agent or the Hoffenheim camp to drive up the price. Uh, of course, we do know now that Chris Richards was supposed to go the other way in a sort of package, and Chris Richards didn't really want to go back. He's going to Crystal Palace instead, right? And then RB Leipzig swoop in out of nowhere and get this guy. I mean, that's probably one of the <laughs> yeah. more surprising turn of events, right? Oh, yeah, it's it's huge. Um I'm really quite surprised at it, to be honest with you, because the links to Bayern Munich didn't make a huge amount of sense to me simply because they obviously have a fantastic left-back or left-wing-back in Alfonso Davies. Um, sure, they could always use cover, but I think that's kind of what Richards is quite good for, in the sense that if they really needed someone, they could call on him to kind of see out the last 20 minutes of a game or whatever else. David Rom always felt like far too good a player to be a backup. And he really is too good a player to do that role. Um, in the article I did for the Substack last week, I was looking at his numbers and he's not only a good left back or a good, a good left wing back, he's, he was quite literally the best left wing back in the division last year. Um, better than Davies in terms of his crossing and the accuracy of his crossing. Of course, Davies was injured for much of the season, so it's not a fair reflection, but even besides that, he still far exceeded uh, the rest of the league. And the thing that he does so well is that, obviously, he's very good at crossing. So the qual the quantity of his crosses per game, but also the quality, how often they find the right receiver, how often they find another player in the box. Just how good he is at key passes, which are te technical term for a pass that leads to a shot. I think only maybe Thomas Muller created more last season. So this guy's an absolute beast on the left wing. Um, I think he would have been perfect for Dortmund, to be honest with you, just because they have such a huge hole at left wing back. Gallero's obviously not really the player he once was. Nico Schultz has spent the summer being essentially ostracized by Eden Terjes's squad, if reports from Dortmund are to be believed. Um, and so, um, you know, I really think Dortmund would be in a, a good spot for him in terms of making sure he got game time ahead of the World Cup. Because he will be Germany's first choice left back, I think, going into that competition. 
The interesting thing for me is that obviously Leipzig have now pounced on this and I'm still not entirely sure where he fits into this team because they obviously have a very good left wing back in Angelino. Um, I don't know how you think about this man. I, I think there maybe have been some murmurs that he could be moved on, but I think for the most part, he's been a very good player for Leipzig. I've been quite pleasantly surprised at how well he's done since he left Manchester City. Um, I think if you look at his metrics, he's great going forward as a wing back. Uh, you know, so much so that I think considering the struggles Pep Guardiola's had to find a left wing back this summer for Man City, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he would have maybe, I know he obviously would have played much last couple of seasons, but I wonder if they could have maybe hoped to have brought him back this this season to kind of bolster that side of their, their team. But, I mean, how do you see this play now? Do you think Angelino's going to get moved on? Do you think they're going to try and find some solution where they play one at left back, one at left wing? Uh, obviously, I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think Tedesco's kind of gone back to a 4-3-3, but I'm still not entirely sure how he works in this system. I, th- I think he is technically an improvement on Angelino, but not so much so that Leipzig were crying out for this move, especially for the amount of money that they might end up spending for him. Yeah, it's an interesting question, and I've been pondering that um, quite a bit, actually, in the last couple of days, because like, you're quite right in, in terms of in terms of fit. is That's Angelino's position, and I guess the sort of backup for Angelino has been Halstenberg, right? And um, so, how do you how do you make that work? And I I looked at the squad, and they have nominal left wingers um, listed in the squad, right? In uh, Soboslai and Forsberg. Now, I don't really see either one of us a real winger, if that makes sense. I I see them kind of like half wingers attacking midfielders that like to try to maybe like that maybe drift to the left but really just play a little bit off the center and i mean this is this maybe gives them an option to play one of the two further up the pitch or have them overlap or you know the the other thing is of course um it helps them deal with injuries um one of the the, the big thing is of course this is a long year we've discussed it in our in our Substack podcast last last week, right? How uh, Qatar is really going to make things difficult. And that was a big theme here too when you talk to the Bayern Munich officials was that they really wanted to have depth on every position. So this could be just them ensuring that they have that sort of depth that when Angelino is uh, injured or, you know, David Raum, of course, is also going to be with the Germany squad, as you pointed out. So there is some time there that he's he's going to be gone. And so, you know, it's never a bad thing to have more than one good player on a position. Uh, I guess the the only thing is that you have to navigate as if both players are fit and that, that's difficult. And Angelino, I don't think... Angelino doesn't strike me as the sort of personality that likes to sit on the bench. And um, so you would have to make room mm-hmm. for them if they both fit. Yeah, he was... And then there was... Yeah, um one final thing that I just noticed, and then I, I let you jump right in, Stefan, but there was an Instagram post by Angelino after the German Cup win that kind of alluded to him maybe wanting to leave. And I think he's since kind of taken that back. But I just wonder if that's them also making sure that if he does leave, there is someone there. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one. I'm going to see if I can maybe try and find... Uh... 
the rumours that he was linked with a move, I, I don't know if it was maybe something that people were just pure speculation because, you know, people are looking at Realm arriving at the club and then saying, right, well, that then means that he will move on. Mm. But he's been linked with the move to Barcelona this year alone, um, actually, which, you know, seems to be where who everyone is linked with um, if they don't have anywhere else to go. Just kind of the bargain bucket of European football at the minute. But, uh, yeah, that's an interesting thing you say about his kind of personality because he obviously showed a huge amount of ambition and kind of, um, I, I, I don't want to say stubbornness because it was, it was actually, that, that has kind of negative connotations, but he was very forthright in saying, look, I'm leaving Man City because I want to play first-team football, and I like playing at Leipzig because I play first-team football. You know, it was a loan. I think it was two years, two seasons he was on loan at Leipzig before the deal was made permanent. I think they delayed it a year because mm-hmm. of the pandemic, possibly. Um, but throughout all that, um, he 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 really was very forthright. Whenever he was asked, he was like, no, I'm still at Leipzig, because there were times when Man City were legitimately looking for a left wing-back, and people in England were saying, well, we've, they've got a perfectly good one on the books, but he plays for Leipzig. Uh, so there was a lot of speculation of him returning to Man City during those two seasons. And whether that was because the deal had already been done and just wasn't made official or just the fact that he'd already made it clear to Man City that he didn't want to come back unless he was playing first-team football, he, he he pushed through that move to Leipzig. So if after just one season, I think, of being a permanent Leipzig player, they've now brought in a player to directly compete with them, it'll be really interesting to see how he responds to that. I think... Obviously, Tedesco would much prefer to have these two excellent left wing backs kind of battling for each other. Uh, and if he does kind of play with a kind of wing back position or wing back role, um, you can understand why it'd be hugely useful to the club to have these two players so they can interchange in and out because it's such a intense, physically demanding position for players. Um, so on paper, it makes great sense. On paper, it's a great sign for Leipzig, but. I do wonder if this will then kind of lead to Angelino leaving this summer because if he doesn't, I think all eyes would be on, you know, him to see how he responds to some some really serious competition because not only is David Rahm a really good player in his own right, but in Germany, he's kind of seen as this kind of poster boy, isn't he? He's kind of seen as this kind of mm. success story who came from Greuterfurt, who made the step up, who has gone from strength to strength and now he's Hansi Flick's, you know, fantastic new signing because obviously Germany had so much issues at left back in recent years. Um, you know, Robin Gosens aside. But he, so not only does Angelino have to contend with the fact that he's up against a very good player in his own right, but he's up against a player who the nation itself favours, who the nation itself, who will be getting so much airtime and getting so much column inches from week to week. So that adds a whole new dimension to that. Um, and you know we can we will pro- as you said on our bonus podcast for subscribers this week we are going to preview the the Super Cup so we'll be diving into a lot more detail on you know how Leipzig are shaping up this season but it's a really interesting move and I think it also shows a degree of real ambition for Leipzig they've been relatively quite quiet in the window this summer uh, and we've kind of talked about that and said well that's because you know they already kind of had a squad uh, capable of at least challenging for second place but kind of swooping in and just kind of dropping a serious amount of cash on a player like this who both Bayern and Dortmund are looking at does show a sheer amount, a good amount of intent, especially if Bayern were only really capable of potentially signing him 
if they could have used another player uh, as a player exchange rather than just forking out 30, 35 million euros of their own. So, yeah, it's a sign of intent for Leipzig, but we'll have to wait and see how it impacts on the squad itself. Yeah, I think one thing that we're going to see is uh, Nordi Mokiele is going to leave and he's going to um, head back to France to, to join PSG, right? And um, at first, I, was, I mean, this was kind of like a little like, brain fart of myself, I guess, that I I sort of had a, a memory that Mokiele could also play as a left back. So that was one player in, one player out. But of course, uh, Mokiele is a center back who can also play as a right back. So ignore that brief thought of mine. <laughs> and uh, But it's still, I mean, Mokiele is an interesting one. Like that, This move is interesting for me because I think... Here's a player who came in with quite a lot of hope and um, ambition. And I think the club really had had this hope that he would turn into a, signific- a significant player, right? And hasn't really quite fulfilled it. I mean, yes, he's played 100 Bundesliga games. I mean, that's that's pretty good for a young guy. But, you know, and had one game for France at the senior level. But at the same time, Leipzig seemed to be quite happy to cash in on him and mm-hmm. uh, make some money on yep. him. And I, I think there's two things going on here that I find interesting. It's like, number one, they're making money on him. But number two, do you think that also could mean another transfer on top of David Raum? Because I feel like Leipzig are quite late in the in this window. Mm. Yeah, it's really interesting that right wing back role because we obviously saw Tyler Adams move on as well, who's played that role before as well. And I would probably put Mikulele in the same kind of camp as Adams in the sense he's a very decent player, very solid player. But to be to be really blunt, I don't think they're players who are going to help Leipzig make a step up to the next level. They're perfectly dependable, but if you look at the players they're bringing in at left wing back, uh, as we've just discussed, I think that right wing back position actually looks very bare. Um, if Mukiele does move on to PSG, they're basically just left with Benjamin Henricks there, um, who, again, perfectly solid player, still relatively young to an extent, so he could kind of develop into a better player, but nothing really over the top. So as you said, it'd be really interesting to see if they are kind of clearing the deck for a player to come in there, because between Mukiele and Henricks, or between him and uh, Adams, rather, they've actually managed to put a decent bit of money aside. So, and as we said, they haven't really splashed much cash this summer. So, I wouldn't be surprised if they did kind of bring in a right win back um, because not only will they be lacking in depth there, but I also think they kind of don't have the required quality to match what they have on the left. Mm. It It does feel like that. It's odd because they only have a week until the Super Cup and they did get smashed by uh, Liverpool. And obviously we're going to talk more in depth about that in, in the in the Substack. But um, it does feel like that this, the squad isn't isn't quite done yet. Uh, so keep an eye on Leipzig in that regard. Um, staying in France, and this was of course the big news <laughs> here with us in the Green Bay. Um, it's, it was really interesting to how this developed because we had Oliver Kahn for a final lunch interview session um, 
at the Tidal Town, as it's called. It's like a huge complex that's right next to Lambeau Field. Uh, it's a beautiful facility, by the way. And uh, Bayern Munich put on quite, quite a buffet and uh, quite a show in terms of uh, hosting us. Um, really did a great job. And Oliver Kahn was asked about uh, Matisse Tell and... He kind of said, well, things are in motion and uh, he's in contact, of course, with Hassan Salihamidzic, who stayed in Munich, was supposed to be on this tour, but stayed in Munich to get the business done, right? And the thing concludes and 20 minutes later, the thing is done. <laughs> the transfer is done. And uh, yeah, they got the guy, uh, start red. I think and I said this in, in my Substack, the in-depth that I wrote about, a very difficult team to negotiate with. I think Dortmund... Um, Dortmund know quite a bit about it because when they signed Osman Dembele, um, they also paid a lot of money plus an ad plus add-ons plus a pay, like a sell-on, right? And mm-hmm. Stadren are known known for being like that. And they Bayern Munich made the their final offer, which was twenty million euros plus eight million euros in add-ons. I think four or five days ago, and Stadren didn't even answer. They just let him sit for four days and <laughs> then, ac- then accepted it. I mean, that's that's um, hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> so, how, what do we think about this deal? Because I kind of have my thoughts, but I'll let you. I'll let you mm-hmm. jump in first and see what you think. I mean, I had the chance again. I, I, I it's hard to project the career of a 17-year-old. I think I'll put this at the very, hmm. very front of everything I say now. Because this is this is the big caveat. He's a 17-year-old. People are very impressed by the tools that this particular 7-year-old brings to the table. Um, he is considered sort of a hybrid between Thierry Ori and Robert Lewandowski. Um, people that I have talked to on this tour, um, including people at Bayern Munich, think really highly of him. They think that his his stats and his analytics numbers are through the roof. And they think that the amount of money that they're paying for now for him now will be peanuts of what the player will be worth in three, four years' time. And... I think too, and I said this, you know, in the article, the 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 sample size that we have in terms of his professional career is seven games, and it's not a lot, right? Um, but there is games at the U seventeen level where he where he played a huge role in France winning the European Championships. I know this is not the senior level. I know the step to the senior team is high, and so I guess what I'm saying is. Bayern Munich are trusting their, their analytical numbers that they have on this kit. They believe they found a gem. They believe they found someone who is going to exceed the transfer fee paid for him. I think the, and this is probably what you're going to go into next, is there isn't a significant amount of risk that this might not work out. I mean, this could be like Renato Sanchez, who they also paid a lot of money for, and um, is turning into a decent player now, but never into this 80 million euro package that Renato Sanchez would have had been if he had hit all his bonuses, right? And that is a risk mm-hmm. that I think the club is taking here. 
And I think they're also putting a lot on the kid's shoulder. Uh, Nagelsmann, after the game yesterday, said that he hopes that Tell is going to turn into a 40 to 50 goal scorer a year. I mean, kid is 17. He will be, with the bonuses included, I, I did just put this in the, in the Transfermarkt article that came out yesterday, right, as the almost done deal article because we don't actually click we have a little button that we have to click to make it a done deal that's not until the club actually officially announces it it is pretty much done and because Nagelsmann confirms it right um all the media is confirming it our information ourselves is that this is gone through but both clubs of course have to officially confirm it still he has to hold up his shirt and all that kind of stuff um i think at the end of the day Time will tell if this is going to work out. Uh, I think this is probably where you're going with this. It's it's a lot of money for a very young player. Yeah, I'm still kind of shell-shocked by, by this announcement, to be perfectly honest with you. I said that to you in the WhatsApp group we've got. I, was like, I still can't believe they're spending this amount of money on this player because, mm. you know, it's just... I think the more, the more I learn about football, the more I... I well, I guess we do study it, and uh, the more I cover it, the more I'm convinced that it really is impossible to deduct or to deduce how good a player is going to be when they're 16 or 17 years old. I know there are players who excel at those years, and sometimes they continue to excel straight into senior career, but just as often you have players who excel at that age because they you know, they mature quicker and they're suddenly a foot taller and a couple of yards faster than everyone else in their team. And that's when big teams around Europe start getting really excited. And then what happens is by the time they hit 21 or 22, you know, they, 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 they really peter out and nothing really becomes of them. So that's just my kind of pessimistic take in general about clubs spending this amount of money on players that's of, of, of that age, especially when they haven't really proven themselves at a certain level. Um, I'm actually kind of reminded a bit of, Makuko at Dortmund in the sense that he broke all he broke all sorts of records uh, at youth level, um, and he really was just this unrivaled prodigy in the Dortmund youth academy. But when he made the step up to first team football, he has struggled, and that's nothing against him. That's just a simple fact of how football works, and that's why I'm still so pessimistic, or wary of when clubs buy players on the back of promise that they have shown in youth football rather than senior football. This is a player we're talking about who's played seven league own games. And it's just, it really is just remarkable to me. It'd be, it'd be fine, which as we talked about, I think when we first mentioned this player, the rumors were of maybe 18 or 20 million euros. And you're like, well, hmm, that's quite a lot, but I suppose it's enough for Bayern to swallow and just kind of forget about it for a couple of years. He can go out on low and he can play in the youth teams and see how he gets on. But to hear Stalihamovic, I think it was, or maybe it was Nagelsmann, say, no, this guy's going to be in our first-team squad and he's going to be rotated in and out with another three or four attacking players, I find quite remarkable because, mm. you know, regardless of how much potential he may have, he still hasn't shown yet that he's actually even capable of playing as a starter for Rennes. So I have no idea why he's going to be expected to start for Bayern or even to feature for Bayern this summer or this season. And the other big kind of elephant in the room here for me is that He's moving to a club who aren't actually very good at developing young players. Um, I'm undoubtedly going to get a wave of Bayern fans (laughs) 
hit me up on Twitter for saying something like this, but Bayern, I think, have a pretty terrible record of developing players, especially when they buy them or they bring them into the youth side of their academy with the intention of being promoted to the first team. Um, you know, you can kind of look through a whole list of players. Um, Musiala, obviously, is the exception to this. But, you know, Yosha Zerksi, in my opinion, is a perfect example of, you know, and it's, I, I kind of tweeted this at the time, about a week ago, actually, saying, why are Bayern spending 30 million euros on a young player, a 17-year-old, um, who hasn't featured really at all at senior level, when they've got this 20, 21-year-old, who is actually putting in the hard work in Belgian football last year, and really has been knocking on the front door, knocking on the door of the first team for the last couple of seasons. And I had Bayern fans say, oh, well, Xerxes not good enough, and Belgian football's crap, and that doesn't mean anything. But I thought, well, it, it still means more than what Tell has done so far. So... And, and, and I think as well, you know, obviously another example, of this is obviously Tillman who left the club for Rangers uh, this summer as well, who I kind of did a piece for a newspaper in Scotland and kind of looked through his history. And he's another player who was promised first team football every summer leading up to even as, as, as recently as April and the end of last season. And it just never came. And this just seems to be a consistent problem at Bayern Munich where they talk of bringing young players through and they talk about kind of offering them first team minutes but because at Bayern anything less than a convincing win is a disaster it's actually very hard for the, them to embed players into the team and even I'd even possibly go so far as to say that I think Musiala actually um, struggled for as much game time as he maybe was expecting last year under Nagelsmann so you know I think any team any club spending this amount of money on this player I think has to be marked down as a risk until obviously proved otherwise. But especially at Bayern Munich, where they just they're just not built to promote and develop young players the way that Dortmund or Gladbach or whoever else are. Um, they're just not built to do that. They're built to buy ready-made players and players who are ready to win the Champions League, players who are ready to win the Bundesliga convincingly. Uh, and it's just not in the club's DNA to develop young players and give them enough time and patience to become the player they're supposed to be. So that's the thing that kind of stands out to me as a risk. Um, and I know I sound very negative here and I'm not really meaning to. I'm sure the kid's very good and he'll probably go on to become a great player, but I'm just quite surprised at that. And I think one final point as well is just to kind of echo, I think, what we said in this podcast a few weeks ago when we were talking about Barnes transfer policy. Even though they have bought Sadio Mane and even though they have bought Matthias De Ligt, this is this. I think this signing is also kind of confirmation of what we were talking about in the terms that Bayern now have to kind of go buy these players before they arrive at a Dortmund or before they arrive at a Gladbach or a Leverkusen or Leipzig, because if Tell had gone to Dortmund this summer or Leverkusen and spent a season even just off and on the bench, he may already have been priced out of a move to Bayern because Premier League sides would have got picked up on him. So we're now. I think we're now seeing in real time here. Bayern shifting their transfer policy to buying players before the intermediate step. You know, they're, they're basically cutting out the middle club here because they, mm-hmm. they're now in a different reality where a top young player at Dortmund or top young player at Leverkusen is now actually out of their budget. So they're now going direct to the source. And I think that's why they're picking up this young player. But it remains to be seen whether it will work out or not. Yeah. Yeah. Um... Should probably also add that 
the report today was that he's going to wear Robert Lewandowski's number nine. So no pressure. Um, <laughs> um, and also no pressure that Julian Nagelsmann is openly talking about signing Harry Kane from Tottenham um, while being at this camp. Um <laughs> Something that Antonio Conte didn't like at all, right, Stefan? So that, this is this is this is the sort of pressure you're walking into. It's like, oh yeah, so like we're giving you the number nine. But by the way, if you're not wearing it in the and you're not fulfilling your promise within one year, we're just gonna go to Tottenham and sign England's captain to do the do your job. So no pressure, kid. No pressure. Um, <laughs> um yeah, that's that. That was interesting that that came around the same time. And uh, I mean, Nagelsmann, he hasn't made. I mean, this is this is a good transition to maybe do this tour on like the impressions that I had. And it's interesting that you mentioned Sirkse because he did work really hard here. I mean, we were able to see quite a lot of the practice sessions, and he did work really hard. As did Sabitza, who actually thought had an excellent camp and. That might actually put the, the Lima transfer a little bit on a back burner, right? Because the pizza looked great. He was he looked great yesterday in the game too. Um, worked really hard. Um, even though he in the squad he's under a lot of pressure. You can uh, Kimmich in particular seems to be pushing him really hard. You could hear that every time he was uh, in a session with uh, Kimmich, he that Kimmich kept saying to him, "You have to fight. You have to fight." <laughs> so I think Kimmich is an intense person, by the way. Uh, I'd be scared to be a teammate of his. Um, <laughs> but it's really interesting, Stefan, the the kind of... And we were talking a bit about the WhatsApp and our WhatsApp group about this. Julius Nagelsmann, and unfortunately for him, nowadays you say something, it's all over Twitter. His comments weren't always the best. And I know the Bayern bosses weren't exactly excited about that he first talked about Barcelona's depth and then about a player that they didn't own. You know, you kind of get the sense a little bit that he will be under a lot of pressure this year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it does seem like, a, I mean, and this is kind of what we talked about as well recently in the sense of how much money the club is spending this summer. Um, I know, you know, technically, you know, they're, they're, they're obviously selling players too. I think I actually said on Twitter the other day that Bayern will probably finish the summer with about 120 million euros in player sales. So they're certainly not emptying the bank account for these signings, but they are bringing in players of such quality that they can really turn around to Nagelsmann and say, look, you now have a squad that really should be competing for the Champions League. And I think that's probably no coincidence that this has come after that kind of that what tenth league title, if I'm not mistaken. It's it's uh it's it's the club saying, right, we've won the Bundesliga, that's great. It's getting a little boring now. We really should start be focusing more on the Champions League. Um and I'm not saying that this it's kind of all or nothing. Um to borrow a phrase from Amazon Prime. Um but it's 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 I think that's the kind of real nailed on focus for the summer or the season rather. And well, like any Bayern manager, if Nagelsmann drops out a, a round or two earlier than they should have done, like we saw this season, then 
you know, the knives will be out <laughs> to use a kind of maybe a harsh expression, but that's just the way it is in Munich. It's 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 excellence or you're out the door and someone else takes your place. Yeah, they paid 25 million euros to get Nagelsmann from, from Leipzig. And just like that, they might discard him if it doesn't work out this year. And I, I, I thought that that's not a possibility because of the high fee that they paid for him. But when you talk to people in and around the club or people that cover the team full time, the understanding is very much that Nagelsmann is on the hot seat. I think that's just crazy. Imagine they fire him after two years after having spent all that money. I mean, that's, I don't know. I think that would be quite an earthquake in, in European football, Stefan, if that happens. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, it's, it's really interesting. And it'd be, it'd be a huge kind of failure on Barnes' part because obviously they've spent a huge amount of money to bring him to the club and they want him there for the long term. They want to build a dynasty under Nagelsmann. Uh, to use to, to, for lack of a better expression, so if it if he falters technically, what the second hurdle, um, and I'm sure there's some at the club who would say he faltered in the first hurdle last season to an extent in European football, then um, it does kind of take the club back to square one in terms of the long term planning. I think. Yeah, yeah, interesting times. So that's that's probably my final takeaway uh, from from this trip is that. You know, they spend a lot of money on a teenager, um, a lot of money in general in this window, and that's going to put a lot of pressure on on Julian Nagelsmann to, to perform. And um, of course, that that pressure starts on Saturday in the Super Cup against Leipzig, and we're going to preview that that game in our on our Substack. So uh, stay tuned for that. And yeah, until then, um, well, I should probably mention too that the show is always brought to you by Bet Online. But until then, auf Wiedersehen. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.